Welcome in to another exciting episode of the Talking Ball Y'all podcast. We've got three great interviews lined up for you here on this episode. We'll have Khalid Moore batting leadoff, batting in the two spot tonight is going to be Jay Moore, and then batting in the three spot for our interviews will be AJ Jardina. Sit back and enjoy the program. Paul's Service Station is a proud supporter of Poplarville football. We've been an old-fashioned full-service station since 1960, y'all. Located at 102 North Main Street, Poplarville, come by and see us. Paul's, your locally owned and operated full-service gas station. Go Hornets! Standing by with Jason Baker and Khalid Moore. Khalid's big day here as he's going to sign with Mississippi State senior defensive end for the Popperville Hornets. His senior campaign had over 100 tackles on the year, 16 sacks. And Khalid, man, just Jason and I, to start off, we want to just thank you for being able to cover you, your career here at Popperville. But what a special day. Uh, a very special day. I mean, it was really fun in four years. A lot of success in those four years, a lot of fun, you know, bad moments too, but that's a part of life. Man. It was just real fun, man. Khalil, when you look out, uh, coaches, family that have gathered here to celebrate this with you, how what kind of memories and, and how special is this to be able to look over and at the teammates and, and different people who have filled some of the gym here today to celebrate you? It's all love, and it's nothing but good memories of everybody who came and supported me. I got uh, cousins, you know, sisters, mom, dad, Family, you know, family because they played with me, played ball with me since Pee Wee, PAA, and it just it felt real good to see them here with me and let me know, you know, they still love me no matter how far I go, uh, wherever I play, they they still gonna be there for me. Khalid, take us through the day that the offer came from Mississippi State. What that moment was like? To my knowledge, I think you had one other offer, and that was from Pro River Community College at that time. And uh, maybe take us through the conversation, the coach who recruited you, and what that moment was like when that gentleman said, Khalid, we want you to come play football for Mississippi State. Man, I can remember that day like it was yesterday. I was walking throughout the day, and every coach I passed by was smiling at me, laughing at me. And then we got done working out, and they said, uh, here, you got a phone call. And I stepped outside, and it was like, it's uh, Coach Brock from Mississippi State. And he said, you know, we love the way you play, we watch the film, we love the way you hustle. And uh, they offered me. And from that moment, as soon as they offered me, I talked to the whole defensive coaching staff. And it was great. And ever since then, it's been like family. It's like I know them my whole life. They never treated me like just a recruit. It's always been treating me like family. What, what's the recruiting process been like for you? Have you enjoyed it? I know you've you really not let yourself be too exposed to, to other schools. You've really been sort of honed in on the on the maroon and white, as they say in Starkville. But have you enjoyed the process of it? I, I did. I did. I enjoyed it. I did take a couple other visits, and they were nice, but not as good as the maroon and white. But I did enjoy it. it I probably could have did more, but I didn't. But I don't regret it at all because I know where I want to play. Let me ask you this, Khalid. When you look back on your Hornet career, what stands out? What will you uh, remember the most? Uh, I mean, from, from arguably one of the greatest careers that's ever wore the green and gold from yourself, but what stands out to you? What will you remember about uh, this school, this team, this, this coaching staff? What stands out to you? 
that stands out to me is the my the friends and family I made as teammates along the way, and also the coaches. You know, they were hard on me sometimes, but that's what you need to be a great player. And I don't I don't regret any of it. You know, I play my heart out every time I stepped on that field, and that's that's how you got to do. That's how you got to play, and that's how I played. And I'll never forget the memories I made, the good and the bad. So, yeah. Khalid, your time here at Popperville, you were primarily defensive end, although you did play some uh, wide receiver last week in the Mississippi-Alabama ball game. You played some defensive end, but you also dropped back to the linebacker position, which I guess is probably where you're going to project out to play at Mississippi State. Talk about that experience and um, anticipating that position change. And that was that was a great experience. I got to drop back at linebacker and I can tell you the first day I did drop back a linebacker, I looked like a fool out there <laughs> trying to cover and you know do all that stuff. But as the week went along and I had some pretty good coaches helping me out, I learned how to cover, I learned how to, you know, learn the defense at drop back linebacker and if well when I get to Mississippi State and I know Coach Brock, he's gonna work with me and I get the swing of things and I get some weight on me and I do what I got to do, I'm going to love playing at that linebacker spot. Are, are you excited for the position change, Khalid? I'm very excited. You know, I get to step back some, see the field a little bit better. You know, I, I'm really excited because I think I've always wanted to play linebacker. I, I like Divas in too, but I, I, I just always like, you know, Ray Lewis. I, I love Ray Lewis, and, you know, so I always like linebacker, and it's just now it's going to be me. Khalid, when you look at um, your parents, what they have meant through this process, uh, your mother, who was a, a college athlete herself, how much that may have helped you kind of walk through some of this and uh, just what they've meant to you on this journey so far? It, it helped me out a lot because sometimes I didn't know what to do and I can go and ask her, or I didn't know what to say and I can go and ask her. So it helped me out a lot. And my mom and dad, they've been through for, they've been with me forever. You know, as as far as back I can remember, there wasn't a time where they weren't there for me, and I thank them for that. And they were very, 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 very hard on me at times, but it's, like I said, it's what you need to be raised up the right way. Clint, any, uh, any thoughts on what you want to major in at Mississippi State? Have you thought about uh, maybe what you want to do, maybe after a football career or whenever that time comes? Uh, what you what you look to maybe major in at Mississippi State or what interests you uh, going up to Mississippi State? Um, broadcasting and uh, sports management. That's what I've been looking at. That's cool stuff, man. We'll save a spot for you on the podcast. <laughs> Same here for sure. Khalid, one last question, man, and we'll let you um, go celebrate some more with your family. How special is it, you know, when you're around these other guys that are going to sign with this class and when you're around the guys you were around last weekend and that Mississippi-Alabama game, that P, that hornet on the side of your helmet, and Jason's asked you about your time here at Popperville, but, man, the success y'all have had, too. A lot to be proud of for the program you come out of. That's why I say uh, it's kind of hard to hold my hand down after all we've accomplished throughout these years that we've been here. And it felt good having that horn on my head at the Mississippi-Alabama game and wearing a horn and jacket when I went to my official visit so everybody knew where I was from. So it, it felt good to rep that green and gold, and I'll forever bleed green and gold. Well, for Jason and I, who have seen you play basically every snap, we, we appreciate the way that you've represented um, this Popperville program and this Popperville community. Thank you. Thank you all for always interviewing me and getting me ready for, you know, the next level interviews.
Thank you, Cliff. Yeah. Johnson Farms and Meat Market. Where can you find a full service butcher shop that carries only the finest beef? From Mississippi farm-raised corn-fed cattle? Why, well, that would be Johnson Farms and Meat Market in Picayune. Shop at johnsonfarms.com or stop in at the corner of Highway 11 and North Hall in Picayune. Johnson Farms and Meat Market, where quality beef begins. The Labor and Delivery Unit at Highland Community Hospital is proud to welcome new babies and support growing families in our community. Our qualified, caring staff, along with state-of-the-art technology, make Highland Community Hospital a wonderful place to welcome your new baby. So call 601-358-9422 to schedule your appointment today or visit highlandch.com forward slash here for you. We're now fortunate to be joined by Jay White. Jay is a native to the Jackson area. He's worked in the radio industry there, the sports radio industry there, uh, on and off for 20 plus years. He's a producer for Mississippi Public Broadcasting Network. Jay, thanks for taking time for the podcast. Absolutely. I'm glad to do it, Clay. Thanks for calling. Jay, I follow you on um, on Twitter and just your perspective on um Jackson State Athletics in particular always kind of interests me. What is your interest there? And, I mean, you really kind of dive deep at times into their athletics, not like everybody else, not just the last day and a half, but uh, you make a concerted <laughs> effort to pay attention and, and put out some good information on Jackson State. Tell us about your interest there. Well, I mean, like you said, I'm a Jackson native. Uh, you know, I was born in Jackson and, and lived in the city limits the first you know, 22 or so years of my life I'm, uh, you know, I, I, if you look at my twitter bio i'm a professed lover of of my home turf which is south jackson it's not very safe to go around these days but still i love it that's my home uh and i still live in the i've lived in the metro area my whole life and that's i think a lot of in mississippi people get hung up on state and old miss because they're in the sec and i get that uh, and then you have Southern Miss, which is a, a FBS program as well, and they have a lot of history and tradition. Uh, and and they offer folks in the southern part of the state representation, and that's cool. But I mean, Jackson is is still the the biggest city in the biggest metro area in Mississippi, and it has a Division One NCAA athletics program. And so I've always I felt um, kind of uh, that I that I owed it attention especially with a platform uh, in radio and on social media to some certain extent um, that I, that I owed it to try to help promote it to uh, a certain extent. And um, they have a lot of tradition and um, they, they have always had an interesting plight uh, in that they've been in an interesting place, the SWAC and, and its position within the NCAA and uh, it is still evolving to this day. Uh, it's, and so it's, just, it's, fun. it's fun to have a Division One program in your backyard. Uh, and I think a lot of people don't necessarily, even, even folks that live here in the metro area, uh, don't necessarily take advantage of it or think of it like that. Uh, but I always kind of have. So. Jay, your first thoughts when you go back to um, hearing the rumors and then – it coming to fruition of not the signing yesterday, but 
uh, Coach Prime coming to Jackson State and, and how you thought that would work out and what you thought at kind of first blush there? Oh, holy cow. Uh, pretty crazy. Now, look, it, it was interesting. Uh, the first thing I thought of is, now, what was the timeline for all this? Because if you'll recall, you know, uh, I mean, Dion was, what, he was the OC at a high school in Texas? <laughs> and uh, they came over to Mississippi to play a game at Madison Ridgeland Academy. Um, and, you know, the next thing you know, I mean, within a short period of time, he gets named the head coach at Jackson State. And I'm just like, wow, that's, that's pretty remarkable. Uh, I wonder what all went into that. Uh, I wonder, uh, I, guess, I guess I wonder, I wonder where he was coming from, you know, and it, it and for Ashley Robinson, who's the athletics director at Jackson State, and he's a doggone good one too. Mm-hmm. He's building quite a legacy right now with these, these moves that he's pulling and the way that he's moving JSU athletics. Um, but that's, you know, it's, if you look at it, if you look past the fact that it's Deion Sanders, the guy hired, <laughs> The guy hired an assistant on a high school team yeah. in Texas. Yeah. Uh, that's that's a reach, man. That's a gamble. I mean, there's 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 no guarantees that that'll pay off. Um, it, just in terms of the fact that the guy's never led a program, uh, and I know he's you know he's he's a philanthropist. He has all sorts of business interests. Uh, we've we've found <laughs> over the last. 24 hours or so he's got lots of connections and stuff um but uh you guys being the point man of a football program is something that's completely different even even from being a a hall of fame all pro player it's it's something totally different it's a totally different skill set and uh there's no guarantees that just because Dion was a hall of fame football player and a guy that everybody knows and a guy is a guy with connections and all this other kind of stuff there's no guarantees that once you put that guy on a sideline, that he's going to be able to make that rubber meet the road once you're playing football games. Uh, so that that to me was an interesting calculated risk. And uh, they, you know, you had your your kind of mini season, your practice season. The SWAC didn't play a a, a fall 2020 uh, football season, so they kind of they pulled a USFL and had like a mini mm-hmm. spring year and and it was to be that honest with you i think it was uh an absolute blessing in disguise for dion because he got to kind of have a trial run uh a a like live rounds trial run as a coach and i think he learned a whole lot i think they played six games and went like three and three or something like that if that if i if i remember but uh, i mean they their games were pretty wild. I mean, they won and lost a bunch of games, like 47, 44, or something like that. And you're like, holy cow, these games are going to be shootouts. You know, they're going to they're, uh, they're going to send their fans into the hospital after every game. <laughs> but um, I think it was a blessing in disguise because <clears throat> I think he learned a lot uh, about coaching, uh, being a head coach, and having to make those calls, being on the sideline, and, and – the man management part of running a program. Uh, so I, I think it's all, it, obviously it's all worked out great because of his, the draw of his name. Uh, I mean, he's had, he's getting all these guys 
transferring in from SEC schools and high Division One programs, which is pretty remarkable. Um, and I mean, almost immediately. I mean, they're, they're ten and one. I guess eleven and one now after uh, winning the SWAC championship, uh, and they're they're a, a heavier favorite for the Celebration Bowl than they were for the SWAC championship game, which came to, as a little surprise to me. But it's super exciting. He's got the fans back in it. Um, you know, Jackson State was once a FBS level draw in terms of attendance that had fallen way off as they had kind of bungled their way through two or three coach hires. Uh, but he's got all that back on track. They just sold out with 60, 65,000 seats to the Celebration Bowl. I may be wrong, but that may be the first time that game has sold out or at least sold out as fast as it did, which is, uh, I mean, he's got Jackson State's fan base, which for the level that they play is considerable. Uh, and they have been dying to have, to, to have something to reach for and, and to to root for again and he's given them that so that's all awesome to see jay speaking of awesome to see and you've touched on it a couple times there in that answer but to see the vet uh the way that it has been a couple times throughout the season maybe more than that but how cool is that in that historic setting to see it jam-packed again it's it's amazing and you know i'm i'm 42 so i am i'm old enough to remember um when it, during their original run uh, of being really good, which, I mean, it started before I was born, uh, but ran, you know, up till around 2000 or something like that. So, you know, the 80s through 2000, Jackson State was solid every single year. And every time they roll a ball out there, I mean, they had a ton of people in that stadium. And it's it's been fun to see. You know, they've had a couple of games this year where they draw 40-plus or 50, or they, I guess they averaged around 40. They had a couple that drew over 50, close to 60. And uh, those, these pictures get posted on mm. social media, and you see younger people go, holy cow, what are they doing over there in Jackson? Like, how are they drawing that many people to games? And was, this is an FBS program, or FCS program, excuse me. And... You, know, you see the older folks being like, man, this, this is the way it always used to be. Uh, it's, and, and it's always been that the potential for that has always been here. Interesting thing for me, Clay, is that, you know, and I don't know about if, if, if folks outside of the Jackson area really know uh, the situation with the area. The University of Mississippi uh, Medical Center is right there. It's kind of that stadium is kind of in the middle of what is now kind of like a big medical corridor in mm -hmm. in. Uh, just adjacent to downtown Jackson. And that is the, where that stadium sits is some like prime real estate. And the University of Mississippi has wanted to acquire that area to expand uh, the UMC Medical Center uh, for a long time. And they, I mean, so, so much so that they've been politically motivated to go as far as to basically tell Jackson State, hey, if you could come up with a plan for an on-campus stadium, uh, we will we will get the political gears to move in such a way that we'll get you bonds and get you public funding to help facilitate building you an on-campus stadium so that you can move home <laughs> and we can tear down that stadium and expand uh, the UMC Medical Center. 
you know, the, the biggest part of this happened about 10 years ago. <laughs> Jackson State, Jackson State, out, they kind of overreacted a little bit, or either they maybe they felt they had uh, the state legislature a little bit more of a barrel than they did. And this is when they came out with the plan for a quarter billion dollar dome to be built on campus and stuff like that. And everybody was like, holy cow, hold up. We don't need that area that bad. Um, but I, I think this is a beautiful opportunity to have people push in the right direction and also the right people in charge. And I go back again to Ashley Robinson, the athletic director who won't, this guy's smart enough to not when presented with an opportunity, you know, ask for something like a quarter billion dollar dome in Mississippi. (laughs) So this is an opportunity for them to really push and have the opportunity to build a, a, you know, a beautiful state of the art facility. That's just the right size over on their campus and, and, and add, there's been a lot of gentrification uh, in their campus over the last 10, 15 years or so. And I mean, this, it could be really, uh, it, it could be transforming for the rest of their campus and that gentrification process if they, you know, can add a stadium and kind of a, a, a mixed use village around it and stuff like that. I mean, and, and that can help transform. I mean, the city has no shortage, as I'm sure everybody's aware, it has no shortage of, uh, um, uh, a public awareness issues. Uh, the, the not many people have a high uh, opinion or idea of Jackson, and this can help to try to move those things in, in, in the right direction, uh, step by step. Uh, so hopefully, something can come of that. For all the things that sometimes sports get wrong, and um, we have seen sports lead out in, in political type ways uh, throughout throughout the history of our country and when you look at when you talk about some of the issues that Jackson faces uh what a what a shot of like great news yesterday was the number one player um by basically all accounts signs with Jackson State when you see that flash in front of you Jay well you've already kind of given us your perspective and your background <laughs> on following this program like what I, I told a friend when I was driving in I was like I'm a southern we don't hide it on this podcast and I don't I'm a southern miss guy like I can imagine it's pretty much the same like if I wake up on signing day and see that flash like what what has happened here uh, yeah just give us kind of your thoughts walking through yesterday Man, somebody yesterday, somebody tweeted um, a couple of screenshots of graphics of one was of the top 10 players of this class and one was of the uh, the number one player of the last 10 classes. Uh, and I, f- I forget where the graphics came from, what the, whose coverage it was, but on both of those, you've got the number one player there and you've got the JSU logo by him. And I'm just looking at that. I'm just staring at it. Like, I can't, what is this? What, I, I don't know what to do with my hands. This is weird. You know, uh, you know, the, it, it's, it's the same thing. What I likened it to was when Mississippi State in 2014 got all the way to number one. And it, it's just such a, a crazy, surreal situation. I just remember that next game that Mississippi State played. Like, I... I watched i looked at the little what do you call it the score line across the bottom the graphic that runs across the bottom and i just like i stared at that little thing said miss state and had the little the little number one right you're ranking number by it i just stared at that one by miss state and i was like 
holy crap, that's a real thing. This is real. You know, and like I'm watching the game with like friends and family. I'm like, hey, this is number one by Mississippi State. This is real. They're really number one. And, you know, and I just I like I looked at that more than I watched the game. You know, and I, just, I like I couldn't get past it. Like a team in Mississippi is number one. And so I kind of had that same situation yesterday where those graphics really drove it home to me where I'm like, I, but the number one player in the country didn't just sign for a Mississippi school, but they signed for Jackson State, you know, and that that cool block logo that JSU has, that's, I mean, just right there next to the number one player. I'm just staring at it like, this is real. That's a, it's a real thing that's happening. So, I don't know. But that day, people got tired of me telling, oh, look at the number one about Mississippi State. They're the number one team. This is a real thing. This is happening right now. It's funny how that, more than anything else, drove home that Mississippi State was now the number one team in the country, you know. Absolutely. Jay, when you I've mentioned kind of the negative side of what's going on in all sports, but it's all pretty much and it's the the curtain's kind of been pulled back for something that we've all known for a long time, but uh money and the and the power that's involved in college athletics. Um how long will something like this be able to go on with the powers that be, so to speak, let Jackson State be and have their day or Will there be mass changes where uh, I've already kind of seen Dabo come out and talk about the process? I guess, you know, it wasn't a win for him or he's not having the year that he's <laughs> like, how long will these guys let uh, let us be here in, in our great state and have our day before they uh, I hate to say rig the system again, but uh, change it back to how it was. Boy, Dabo's a he's a curmudgeonly fellow. He? Uh, <laughs> yeah, he is this year, us. certainly. Yeah, for as for as uh, nice as he seems, sometimes he sure. Well, anyway, but um, this is interesting, man, and I'm I'm glad you asked. I don't really have a I have I have strong opinions about where college football sits right now, and uh, a, a very specific situation that it's going through. That the you know the number one player signing for Jackson State kind of. Uh, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It kind of um, highlights this or exacerbates it, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. And 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 I'm glad you asked because I don't really have a platform to broadcast my opinion about this. But I think it's it's something that a lot of people don't necessarily see or have looked at. And I'm glad you mentioned it because I what I'm hoping is, is that uh, between your name image likeness stuff that has come into effect just recently and the transfer portal, which allows people to transfer without penalty now. And by penalty, I mean, sitting out. Um, I mean, it's, it's the wild, wild West right now in college football. And so you've got this transfer portal that is, is completely oversaturated. It's like five times oversaturated and folks are like, Oh man, these players—they're going out here. They don't, you know, they—they're going to get themselves jammed. I think I, I heard uh, Matt Wyatt on his radio show not too long ago say something like there were a thousand. And this was—these are old stats now. It was a couple of weeks ago. Something like a thousand and eighty players in a transfer portal, and mm-hmm. like two hundred and something had offers. It was like twenty-seven percent of the players had offers, which means—I mean, what? Seventy-three percent of players are just sitting there hoping. Uh, after having already committed themselves to this process. 
But I, and I think people look at that and they're like, this is what it's going to be now. Well, I don't think that's necessarily the case. And in that regard, I hope the NCAA, uh, or not so much the NCAA, but the conferences and the coaches and the commissioners of the leagues don't overreact and overcorrect. Because I think the reason we're in this situation, number one, is because with the name image likeness stuff and the transferring without penalty stuff, the the market for the transfer portal has not really been set. A player doesn't really know what his value is when he puts himself out there right now. That hasn't really been set yet. And, and I think we won't have a good idea of what the actual market is for a transfer player for a while because, you know, we had this 2020 season when – uh, the 2020 season counted against no one's eligibility, right? So we have an entire class of players who are who have hung around uh, or have been given the opportunity to hang around for another year. Now, that's not just the guys that would go pro or get drafted or stuff like that. That's that's an entire class, an entire year's worth of eligible players that would take up a quarter of every school's roster. Right. But everything else didn't stop. Another class of JUCOs came in. Another class of high school players came in. So you've got a specific set of scholarships and roster uh, roster spots available. And now you've got, you know, you've got a a one quarter uh, overfill. Basically, you got one hundred and twenty five percent of the amount of players that you would normally have, right? So we've got way too many players and not enough spots. And I think it's going to take a little time for that to correct itself. I think that part of that is, you know, too many players, not enough spots, and the fact that players now have the ability without penalty to... Uh, be in it for themselves, basically, uh, or going to business for themselves as opposed to being in business for the coach that they signed for. Um, and so I, I, I just think it's going to take a little time to correct that. But I think all those things in combination are why we have so many, number one, so many players in the transfer portal. Um, and I, I just, I hope that, I hope that they don't overcorrect, um, and, and then the thing with the name image likeness, man, I, I don't know if you saw what Gene Chizik said a couple of days ago, but, yeah, I did. Uh, you know, he was talking about I got one, of, one of the schools basically got a deal for their offensive linemen where they're all getting paid 50000 apiece. And, um, you know, he made a correlation to, you know, what, what public school teachers make. Uh, and look, I, that's, you know, what school teachers make is, is one of my biggest issues with our society. Uh, so I, I can't be more for the, the purpose of what he said, but a guy who coached five years of college football and made $11 million for going 38 and 38, you know, <laughs> yeah. and he won a national championship, but he won it with a player that his staff, and I, I guess I won't directly indict him on it, but his staff cheated their rear ends off the yeah. hit. 
Right. You know, and if you take him out of the equation, he was a 24 and 38 coach over four seasons, and the guy made $11 million. Boy, there are not many people who could make the point he made <laughs> and sound stupid and hypocritical about it more than him. Yeah. But he sure went out there and made it. That's uh, the but, truth. But yeah, I just like him and Dabo and some of these guys. It's so, it's funny when these coaches continue to sign bigger and bigger deals. And I say coaches, most of them are not running their mouth about this. Um, a lot of them, uh, you know, like Lane Kiffin, for example, I think, I, I think a guy like Lane Kiffin sees, and certainly Deion Sanders sees that these players now get to, I mean, they, they, they get to basically profit off of what they do. And instead of looking at it curmudgeonly and worrying about how this is going to affect me, some of these guys more younger and some somewhat more progressive coaches are looking at it and saying, Hey, this is my angle. You know, this is how, you know, I can be, I can show these guys that I am for them and that I don't see this as, you know, some sort of breaking of the system and the guys who are progressive with it, they can really they can move really fast and make up a lot of ground, like Lane Kiffin has at Ole Miss. Jay, in danger of, of getting uh, somewhere we shouldn't be, I want to ask this question because I think it's important. It's two uh, mid, early forty white males. This may be a dangerous question, but kind of the you you brought up social media, and it doesn't take long to kind of read between the lines where people are going. Some of maybe the racial overtones of when you look at a guy, Alabama's uh, quarterback before he took a snap was basically a, a millionaire, and we didn't see quite the same reaction as we did for uh, JSU yesterday. Did you kind of feel that in in some of the posts and some of the stuff we read yesterday? Uh, yeah, I, I did. I I I think it's interesting, man. I. I think that there are there was a, a, a almost surprising amount of salt out there uh, amongst some people. I think you know with social media, you got to take it for what it's worth. Social media gives a party of one um, a much more of a say and a platform and and and, and uh, visibility than what the reality is. Um, so I, I think an overwhelming majority of people within the college football industry are are happy for Jackson State and excited that something different happened. Right. That not the same old folks, not the same old programs <clears throat> uh, benefited from this situation. Uh, new blood is always awesome. Uh, being able to look at you know, different colors and different logos and different stadiums and different programs is awesome in high-profile situations. It's not the same old five or six teams right. from the same two or three leagues. It's awesome. But um, there there has been some backlash. And, look, I think you're, you're going to get some folks from some traditional programs. And in this regard, I don't know that it's a, it's a race thing necessarily. You could certainly tie – you know, a socioeconomic, uh, which which has a, 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 a race-based sidebar to it, it's certainly in Mississippi, uh, to it. But 
I think there, you know, Florida State fans were hyper angry yesterday because <laughs> how Deion ironic is that too, Jay? That it's yeah. <laughs> Deion Sanders involving the Florida State program, college sports, some <laughs> of the stuff you just could not make up. I, I know, right? Uh, and, and they're just like Deion. He's totally swerved them and turned on them uh, like some old school wrestling, and <laughs> they just are upset. This one guy got some run on social media yesterday because he had a framed Deion Sanders jersey and he burned it. I'm like, man, joke is on you, dude. If you're taking any of this that seriously and you don't play or coach, uh, or you know, anyway. But the other element is is that you know from the the other side of it, and I, and I think there's going to be some some blowback from you know your your SEC powerhouses and. It's not necessarily a Jackson State or an HBCU thing. I think it's anybody that 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 looks like they can threaten for mm. some of the pie. Yep. You know, they get very defensive and immediately, and, you know, and, and this is where college football uh, mirrors the way some of the bad elements of our government and uh, yep. that, you know, the, the rich have tilted all the rules away from the many and toward the few. Uh, and it's unregulated, and they control the way the rules work, uh, and they already have the money, so uh, there's not much that many people can do about it. Uh, and to your point, when you ask the question, uh, some people are going to try. I don't know what they would do uh, necessarily right now, but they'll figure it out and try to, you know, to t- to tweak the rules where something like this it would be harder to pull off in the future. But uh, the other element is, is you know, from the inside, from uh, a fan of an HBCU's perspective, I saw several, um, you know, HBCU journalists, sports journalists, that were super salty about this yesterday. And I think it's because they don't trust Deion Sanders. Hmm. Uh, I think they feel like, uh, I saw one guy calling fool's gold, uh, and that, that, you know, don't get behind all this hype because he's not here for the long haul and he's using this as a stepping stone. And I, I, to be honest with you, Clay, I won't immediately dismiss that thought. But at the same time, yesterday's, or, you know, the signing day is not the day to come out with all that. Yeah, enjoy you know, if, the if you, Yeah, if you're, if you're truly, you know, a fan of HBCUs or, or if you are you know, trying to regularly promote the HBCU cause athletically. Um, yesterday is not the day to jump on your soapbox about whether or not you think Deion Sanders is really in it for Jackson State University and the people of Jackson. Um, and and so there was a lot of that. I think some people um, were some people were super frustrated because and I think I said it. I said in a tweet. Folks that a year ago could name more HBCUs than Grambling had this thing that was theirs, and now all of a sudden it's not theirs anymore. It's everybody's, uh-huh. and I think they're frustrated with that because you know it's it's almost like when you're when you're a Metallica fan and you've loved uh, you know, Ride the Lightning and Justice for All, and all of a sudden they put out the Black album, and then everybody's a Metallica <laughs> fan, and you're like, no, no, go away. Yeah. You don't know what this is about, you know, right. or like. If you're you know, a Van Halen fan for, you know, Diver Down and all this other stuff, then all of a sudden they put out 
1984 and Jump is on it and it's a number one single and it's got synthesizers all over it. You're like, no, 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 no. You guys don't know what Van Halen's about. Get out of here. You know, it's like that, except now it's the HBCU thing. It's like their folks have, this has been their life for the longest time. And up until the last 18 months or so, the HBCU calls athletically had become a struggle. It really had become a struggle. But in the last 18 months or so, you know, there's, People, um, the SWAC commissionership changed, and the, the the SWAC as a league, it's the number one HBCU league, and you've seen several of the MEAC schools jump over to the SWAC, and it's very aggressively and quickly moving in a positive direction. And uh, much like what I'm – I'm, so glad and so in love with what Southern Miss has mm. done over the last four or five months because they finally stopped waiting for someone yeah. else to help them and they went into business for themselves, right? Yeah. I think the SWAC's finally done the same thing as opposed to trying to corporately fit in with everybody else's plan. They said, screw it. No one else is in this for us. So we're just, we're going to do what we think is right for us now. And to heck with what anybody else thinks. If you want to stop us, try and stop us. But we're going to do what's best for us. And we're not going to apologize for it. We're going to act and ask for forgiveness later instead of permission. And it's amazing how things can work for you when you do that. That's right. Uh, and, I've, you know, so in that regard, you know, I think this thing that, again, I just think it's, a lot of people kind of went through the valley with the HBCUs, and now that they're coming back up to the mountaintop, now everybody sees it and want to be a part of it. Some of these folks are super bitter about it. Jay, man, I can't thank you enough for your time. I hope we can do this again, man. I'd love for you to start popping in a little bit on the show and present presenting your perspective is always a, a unique take. And so I appreciate you taking time for the show. Absolutely. Man. I mean, like I said, I just scratched the surface with the Southern Miss stuff, but I'm, I'm super duper excited about what they're doing and I'm super excited for their fans and their alumni and, you know, getting into a league where you don't have to go to South beach or El Paso mm -hmm. yeah. or Saskatchewan yeah, right. for conference games <laughs> You know, you're not having to charter flights for your junior varsity volleyball team to go play a game in, in Saskatoon <laughs> or wherever. Uh, but, I mean, outside of that, just uh, them having conference mates that come from similar backgrounds, you know, with similar endowments, similar enrollments, similar athletic budgets, and similar uh, history um, in similar-sized markets, uh, that's – I'm I'm very excited for Southern Miss and and glad that they stopped kind of, um, I guess, uh, waiting for Conference USA to move in a positive direction and they 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 went into it for themselves. It was awesome. I'm, I'm so glad. Fifteen years too late, uh, but <laughs> yeah. still, nonetheless, I mean, it's it is the 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 the. The Power Five conferences and the the Big Six bowls—that's a closed system. You know, Cincinnati is a tremendous outlier. I'm actually shocked that that has made it as far as it has. If you're not in that in that party now, you're not invited. And I'm glad that Southern Miss stopped adhering to this imaginary 
um, situation where all of these non-Power 5 schools feel like they have to work as hard as they possibly can to try to find a life a lifeboat into one of those power conferences. You don't have to have that. Uh, you know, you can have an awesome existence playing schools that are in your region that have, you know, similar circumstances and advantages that you have and making it about your fans and not about, you know, overreaching and overspending for something that's never going to come to pass. Uh, and I'm so glad Southern Miss did that. I guess I just took up like three or four more minutes of your time. <laughs> no, time Jay. Oh, up. man, look. But- <laughs> and I couldn't agree with you more. It makes sense on all those different levels. So I think uh, what Jeremy McLean has done there at Southern Miss has been remarkable through um, COVID and everything else he's had to do- deal with. Man, he has been a tremendous um, athletic director there at Southern Miss. Absolutely. Yeah, he has. But, yeah, anytime, I love to talk Southern Miss with you uh, and about their move, I guess, more than I just tried to do there in in some more (laughs) detail. But uh, we can talk about that anytime you want, man. I really do appreciate the time. Thank you, Jay, man. We'll be getting back in touch with you here shortly. How do you unwind? Whether it's hunting, riding horses, or just sitting around a campfire, it's better on land you own. Southern Ag Credit can finance that land. Give our Gulfport office a call at 228-832-5582 or visit us online at southernagcredit.com. With fall and cooler weather just around the corner, there's no better time to head out to Brothers in Arms. It's Hattiesburg's premier outdoor gun range. It is located at 4657 Highway 49 South. Whether you're a new shooter or an experienced one, all are invited to shoot on the safe and family-oriented range. Go check them out and inquire about their annual memberships, hourly rates, as well as their training classes they offer. Once again, that's Brothers in Arms Outdoor Range at 4657 Highway 49 South in Hattiesburg. And remember, always keep your sights pointed downrange. We're excited now to be joined by the former sports anchor, of course, down on the Gulf Coast at WLOX, A.J. Jardina. A.J., thanks for taking time for the podcast. Oh, no problem. Enjoying it. Uh, you know, being in television for all these years, it was uh, 44 years I was in broadcasting. And I've been away now for three and a half years, so I uh, get the opportunity to speak to somebody, talking about sports or whatever, I enjoy it. AJ, you came to mind um, as the state championship weekend here in our great state just a couple weekends ago and seeing some old highlights, of course, you doing the, the highlights and then that just that special weekend. I thought about you and, and all the memories I have of you covering events um, like that. Any events or, or weekends that stand out in your memory from those many years there at WLOX? Are you talking about high school or just any? Event? Yeah, any at all. I thought about you because of the the Friday nights that you know kind of are ingrained in my memory. But I just wanted to open it up to to any special events or memories that stick out to you over the years. All right. Well, I guess the biggest memory that that really stands out was in two thousand nine when the New Orleans Saints won the Super Bowl. We uh, WLOX went down with. 
my uh, assistant, and we we covered the the Saints. A preseason, I, I guess we got there around two. We got there Tuesday uh, before the Super Bowl, and we we were there for from Tuesday till Monday. And of course, covering the New Orleans Saints first time ever in the Super Bowl, but that was really something special because I always I started covering the Saints in 1979 when I arrived on the Mississippi Gulf Coast at WLOX. And of course, in those early years, it was losing season after losing season after losing season. We thought we'd never see the New Orleans Saints in the Super Bowl. So when we finally got there and uh, going to Miami to cover the, the pregame and the actual game and after the, the game, we get interviews with the Saints players and, and famous people. That was something special. And actually, when I walked on the field after the celebration, the, the media, all the media, we a couple of thousand media members would go onto the football field and we uh, set up the microphones and we set, we did satellite feeds, which live feeds back to WLOX. Actually walking there onto the field, I actually had tears in my eyes mm-hmm. thinking about all those years that the Saints were losers. And finally, after all so many years, they were now on top, the number one team, you know, winning the national championship, the Super Bowl. It was really special. That was probably the, the biggest thing I experienced as far as saying, boy, this, this was unique to cover the New Orleans Saints. Matter of fact, one of the guys we interviewed, it was uh, Steve Young. And I'd mm-hmm. seen Steve Young just tear up the Saints for many years when the San Francisco 49ers Played the Saints in the Super Bowl, and the Superdome, I should say. And, of course, he was the, the starting quarterback for the 49ers, and they won a couple of Super Bowls. And I, we were yelling at him. It was, it was getting close to where it was probably about maybe an hour and a half after the game, and he was leaving. He was, I think he was working for ESPN at the time. And I said, Steve, Steve. I said, can we do a quick interview with him? And he goes, he, he tells the other guy with me, he goes, look, he goes, just give me a minute. He goes, I don't have much time. I, I, I might give you about two minutes as far as that, Steve, whatever. That's great, man. So we started interviewing him, and we it was about 15 to 20 minutes later, he finally wow. said, I got to go. So <laughs> he, he really enjoyed talking about the Saints. He even admitted that whenever the, you know, the Saints back in the, in the mid, mid-80s or the late 80s and early 90s, they had some pretty good teams on the Jim Mora. And he even said that, you know, we, we used to play the, the Saints. They were really pretty good defensively. They weren't that great offensively, but it was always exciting to play inside the, the, the Superdome. But he was, he was very ecstatic, and he mentioned that he thought Drew Brees was one of the best quarterbacks ever to play the game. And of course, he played, what, about another 10 more years, 11 years before he retired last year. But that was the biggest highlight. And another highlight that I have to bring up is when the Mississippi Seawolves, our, our hockey mm. team, which no longer exists, back in 1999, they won the Kelly Cup Championship, and it was down to the seventh game in uh, a packed Mississippi Coast Coliseum. Over 10,000 people were in attendance. They should only had about 9,800, but it was packed. And for them to win in like overtime, that was one of the highlights, too. It was just something special to see a local team win a championship in the ECHL. That, that was a good moment. Neat. So th- those were like two that stood out. 
neat stuff. And AJ, when you think about your career and now how much even in recent history, TV has changed when you hear about uh, streaming services, cutting the cord. But in your time there, I mean, it was like you were the go-to source. So you kind of worked through a, a golden age of of television. As you reflect back, do you kind of see it that way? Oh, no doubt about it. Yeah, when I first started, we used to use film. Film. When you edited film, which was very difficult to do, but you'd go out and shoot with film. You had to have it brought back to the station and you had to process it. That's when I first started. Uh, I guess my first full-time job was at, uh, matter of fact, let me just mention this. My first job ever in broadcasting was at KGLA, oh, excuse me, uh, WRJW in Picayune, Mississippi. That was my first broadcasting job in radio. I was there for four months, and then I went to KGLA in uh, Gretna, Louisiana. But I always look back, my first real broadcasting job was in Picayune, Mississippi. So I always cherish, even though I wasn't there long, I always cherish that. But no, television has evolved into a new species it's a total different game now like i say I, I we use film then we went to tape we use videotape and back then we had these old cameras it, it was like shooting in the in a uh, in a cave the video was terrible it was the, you needed light and if you had no light you couldn't even see it so then it finally we got better cameras and we went from videotape then we went to computer generated uh cards and it just changed completely. And of course, like you said about streaming and all that stuff, uh, we started doing uh, Twitter. We started doing Facebook. And everything was live. And one of the big things, too, years ago, when we'd go, say, if we covered the Saints or if we went to a, a Super Bowl game and we were doing live shots, we'd have to bring this big old satellite truck, hmm. huge truck. It'd take up a lot of space. We'll my last year, when they, and they're still using the same equipment, it's a little bitty, uh, like a little, maybe like a, a little case, a little suitcase, and you could you hook it up to your camera, and you and you you, you call the TV station, they they zoom in on you, uh, and you can go live. And one thing too, when you work in a small TV station, a small market, I should say. You have to basically do everything yourself. I was a producer. I went out and shot my own stories. I uh, had to edit the stories, had to produce the, the newscast at night, write stories, go interview. I mean, it was people see you on the air for three and a half minutes, four minutes, and they think that's all you do. <laughs> but I'd go to work at 12 o'clock, and I wouldn't get home sometimes till one o'clock at night, especially when we started doing Facebook and uh, Twitter, so it was long hours, but the thing had, that's one thing that has changed drastically when I first got into the business, is that uh, Facebook, the internet, everything is just geared toward going live, 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 live. If you look at channel 13 now, or even channel 25, everything is, way, let's go now live to so-and-so. Everything's live. And, and they want you to go, say, for instance, when I started doing action reports, and if I was uh, going to, a, a, say, an action story, they said, AJ, what's the story about? And I tell them, I go, can we do a live uh, uh, interview with you uh, on the scene? I said, that's fine. So we'd go live, and I'd set it up myself, and I'd put my earpiece in and talk to Dave Elliott or whoever it was at the time, Jeff Lawson. 
and we do a live shot. So live shots were is something that television news really started gearing toward. And and in 2018, when I retired, it's even gotten more prevalent. If you ever watch 13 now, to see a lot of live shots. So that has changed in the internet. Uh, we'd go out on a story, and my news director would say, "Look, AJ, I want to see something." on on the internet wlox.com i want that immediately so if i went to a say if i was driving somewhere to say aj can you go cover this it was an accident and so a building collapse whatever can you go yeah i'll do that use your iphone i could use my cell mm -hmm. phone and and send it back live and do interviews and send it right back to the station live and they put it on the uh, wlox.com so everything had to be immediate that's the big thing because any, if you look at news now, most people get their news from the iPhone or their mm -hmm. cell phone. Hey, you know what? I'm just going to flip in, you know, WLOX dot look at it on there instead of actually putting on your television set. So that, that has changed a lot. It, like you said, years ago, most people watched the television news. Now people are starting to just get it off the iPhone. That has changed. And uh, I don't see it changing. <laughs> I think... Television itself, television news, eventually, I think it's going to fall by the wayside. And it'll be all done immediately on the iPhone or cell phone. Yeah, we're fortunate, AJ, that uh, some of your legacy still lives on in the way that high school sports is covered by WLOX and by uh, WXXV and the way that they pay attention to our local high school sports. But I can remember, you know, that that 10 o'clock news on Friday night, whether it be here or up at WDAM with Mitchell Williams, that was appointment uh, viewing if you wanted to see some uh, highlights. And boy, oh boy, that was just some some good memories on those Friday nights being able to, to tune in and, yeah, and was, see you present those was, highlights. Well, yeah, I appreciate that. Back uh, when I first got into the business, my first TV job was in Alexandria, Louisiana. And the the guy at the time who was a sports director, I was the weekend guy, the sports director said, uh, AJ, we're going to send you, this is what I did, on a, on a Friday night, we're not going to, back then we didn't have a live truck. They said, we're going to send you on a, on, to a game, a game of the week, and I'd go cover the game that we had filmed. I would shoot from the top of the stadium. I had another guy shoot uh, down on the field. And what I do, and, and it was slow motion. His camera was slow mo. It was all slow motion. So when I would go to work on Saturday, after we shot the game with new interviews, I would go to work on a Saturday morning, and I would edit those highlights, and I did it where it looked like, you know, for instance, you got to, it's technical, but say, for instance, when the quarterback, I'm shooting from the top of the stadium, the quarterback drops back, he throws the ball, you follow the ball, and then I'd go, I'd, I'd splice in the guy who shot the low level, then it would go there in slow motion, you see the guy catch the ball, and he go in for the touchdown. And it would take me hours to do, because film was very difficult to try to match. And that became very popular, very popular. And of course, then things changed. When I came to WLOX, the Friday Night Football Showdown was, was one of our most mm. popular, as you mentioned, one of the most popular shows that we had. And it was always difficult because you try to get out and shoot as many games as you can. And But I always thought, this is what I always thought. When I got into to local uh, television, I always said, uh, AJ, I'm going to 
I'm going to focus on local teams, baseball, football, basketball, track and field. I'd even focus on boxing, you know, groups and things like that. Local was my thing because back then ESPN was just starting to get to really get big. Mm. And of course, if you want to watch local sports, you better show local sports. Yeah. So that's why people started tuning in to WLOX. When I first got here, they had an average of about uh, twelve to 17,000 households. They, they, that's what they're based on, people watching your newscast. When I got here, I think that it was 12,000. My first uh, rating book, uh, because I did a lot of local sports, people tuned in. We had 17,000 households. And in about 1980, I started in 1979, by 19, I'm trying to think, 1984, we had over 75,000 households watching local news. Wow. And so that was a big difference. More people, when I first got here, more people watched, because we had cables big, you know, on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, more people at the time watched news, local news, in New Orleans as opposed to WLOX. Channel 25 didn't exist back then. And so we, we started to change the culture where, hey, you know, if you want to watch local sports, Channel 13's got it. And so that was that's a key in, in my success was the fact that people tuned in to watch local sports, and I gave it to them. So that helped me because the more people pe- pe- have watching and my salary increased, and I, I stayed here 39 years at WLOX. I'm still here on the coast in uh, Gulfport. I live in Gulfport, but I've been here 42 years, but I love the coast. And uh, I love WLOX, and it was uh, enjoyable. But local sports, as you mentioned, the Friday night football showdown was really big. And, and again, I know they did a great job this past year. The, the two new young men that took over sports now, uh, they do a great job in Friday night football. The WLOX and Jeff Hager does a good job at WXXP as well. So, AJ, tell our listeners, and then I'm curious too. The the hello everybody that that traditional line that you would come in uh, with. When did that start, and uh, was it was it natural to start with? And then I mean that that was like a signature. Okay, here we go. We're about to get our sports. When I would hear that, yeah, back in 1975, I was hired part time at W. Um, let's see, it was Channel 26 in New Orleans. And uh, it, it was it was a low budget thing. I did five minute newscast. I did uh, one minute of news, and I, this is why shows I like sports. I did one minute of news until a commercial break, and then I did three minutes of sports <laughs> and the weather. And the first time I went on the air, I just said, you know, I, it, there was there was nobody in the studio. The guy they just set up one camera, and they go, uh, AJ, look, we're just going to leave the. Uh, you know, you don't even need the monitor, but I wish, the first, I'll tell you what happened the first time. So I go in, into, I'm, I'm nervous, I tell all my mother and everybody uh, to tune in. I'm from New Orleans. I said, man, make sure you tune in. Tonight's my first night on Channel 26. And so I, I get there and I, I produce the show, put some highlights together, and I, I go on the, uh, on the air and a, I have a little earpiece. That's my communication with the guy who's the director, who's directing the, the, the little newscast. So uh, I'm, I'm looking at my, my uh, watch, and I'm saying, boy, you know what? It's getting close to 9.55. I should be, they have to have an audio check. Well, the guy tells me in my ear, 
tells me, he goes, all right, I just start reading. And I'm thinking that I'm not live, that he's just doing an audio check. One minute, I just said, hello, everybody. Uh, I'm uh, A.J. Giardino. Welcome to Headline News 26. And I started reading. And all of a sudden, the guy, he's, he's, and I, I, this is what I said. When I finished reading the news, that the little news segment, thinking I'm only practicing, mm. checking for the audio, I said, and that's a wicked news. We'll be back with sports after this message. And well, the, and actually, I was on the air. They went to the commercial break. I didn't think I was on the air. Oh, so the guy goes, I said, how was that? He goes, uh, that was, that just slowed down a little bit, if you don't mind. I saw, I'm thinking that, all right, here it is. I'm going, I'm getting ready to go on the air. And so I, I, the guy goes, all right, a five, four, three, two, one, you're on. And I, again, again, hello, everybody. I'm AJ Giardino. Welcome to Headline News 26. And I started reading the news again. Well, the guy starts screaming in my ear. Again, there's no monitor. Yeah. So I didn't know what was on the air. I, he starts screaming in my ear, saying that you're on the air. You're on the air. You, you read that already. You read that already. I went, oh, my God. So I, at first, I said, this guy's trying to screw me up the first time on the air. And so I kept reading until I said, and that's a look at news. We'll be back with sports for the second time. The, the guy goes, we don't have a commercial. We already read And I'm on the air. I said, am I on the air right now? And that was my first experience of TV. Oh, and I was ready when I when I got I was in a state of shock, and when I got home, my mother goes, "It did good, but why did you read the news <laughs> twice?" I said, "Ma, you wouldn't believe what happened." And look, I was ready to say maybe I'm not cut out for TV. Oh. I was almost ready to quit, wow. but I didn't. And I, I kept at it. I was determined <laughs> to do a better job, but that was my first experience. And it was devastating. But television, television is really, like I say, has evolved in numerous areas. And I think you're looking at a, a product that's better now than when we first got into it. But local news is is uh, really changing. I'll tell you another thing that changed. Back after Hurricane Katrina hit, we, you know, the news department, every time there was something that happened, say if there was a, a city council meeting that we're talking about maybe this neighborhood they need new streets whatever they'd go to the city council meeting they would only interview the politicians they wouldn't interview the people who were affected by it the local citizens so in 2005 when hurricane katrina hit that we didn't do sports for like except for high school football we didn't do sports for like three months so I started doing reports, news reports, helping people who were being ripped mm. off by contractors who were taking right. their, their insurance money and they would start a little work and then they'd leave and steal all their money. Mm. And so I started doing stories on that and I started interviewing the people who were affected by it. <clears throat> Eventually I would go interview the politicians and what can we do to stop this? And I even called up Jim Hood, who was the state attorney general back then, saying, look, these people are being ripped off we need some relief. We need to have these people arrested. And eventually, he, he finally came up with a plan where anything over $5,000, if they stole the money, they would arrest these people. And, and that's what happened. So, but our station learned that, you know what, instead of interviewing just politicians, let's, let's focus on the citizens of the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And so that, that was one area that changed instead of just interviewing the, the mayors or the city councilmen 
you know, we uh, let's talk to the people that are being affected by whatever they're talking about. And that that was a positive that even though it was a negative Hurricane Katrina hitting the coast, but we we affected the lives of people. We helped them in a positive way by uh, revealing who these contractors were. And please don't contact this person. We gave them ideas how to check before you actually give these people the money to start the work. So t- TV after Hurricane Katrina was very very uh, positive, and it helped a lot of people. And, and I wound up becoming the action reporter because of that. I still did sports, but I also did action reports. So my, my career changed in 2005 when I became the action reporter, and they asked me to continue to do it. I, I do that three days a week. And sure. I still do sports, though, but I, I do the action reports three days a week. And I was getting 100 phone calls a day from local citizens after Hurricane Katrina needing help. So that was a, a big change in my career. And I, I always wanted to help people. I enjoy doing sports because I, I, I brought out the local, you know, the future stars of tomorrow. And even if you weren't a star, we gave you that five minutes of, of this, the, the limelight. You, you saw yourself score the touchdown or, you know, hit a home run or, or win the 100 needed dash. But having the, the fact that we help so many people I, that that really changed my life, and I enjoyed helping people who were, had no other avenue to go to. Even the, the police department couldn't even do anything. So we we helped those people. We got the insurance money back, and that was a, a very positive event in my uh, broadcasting career. And I'm sure you being in their their homes every night around that uh, ten twenty mark uh, when your segment would come on really brought you a lot of uh, trust, and and people probably trusted you enough to open up and, and tell how they had been taken advantage of and get you to help them. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, uh, uh, matter of fact, my news director said, hey, I think more people are going to like you being the action reporter than being the, the sports person, the sports anchor. I said, well, look, I, I don't mind. I said, I'll do both uh, because they asked me, would you mind just you know, not doing sports? Because uh, we used to have Jeff Shepard, uh, Bill Snyder, you know, got, they were the weekend guys, and what they do is they would do the 6 and 10 o'clock Wednesday, Thursday, and, and Friday. But uh, I didn't mind uh, breaking away from sports, but I still covered the Saints, covered college football on the weekend. And let me just say this to anybody, some young people who are uh, thinking about going into television news, it's a very uh, difficult assignment if you are married and have kids. Because one of the drawbacks of being in television is the fact that you do have to work 24-7. It's a 24-7 news news item. You know, let's face it, it's not uh, 9 to 5. It's 24-7. And Christmas, uh, New Year's Eve, Christmas Eve, Thanksgiving, many, many days would have to work those days. Because I know when I finally started saying, you know, I hit that brick wall, saying, you know what, I'm almost... 67 years old. I think this is going to be my last year. And I, I, when I did retire, I apologized to my wife mm. and my kids, my children, because I missed so many events. I missed weddings. I missed funerals. I missed birthdays. I, I missed a lot. And so anybody, young people who are listening right now and they're thinking about going, think about that because it's something that you're going to have to give a lot of hours to. And you're going to miss many family events and you're almost married 
to the television station. You know, the TV people I worked, I, I used to see them more than I saw mm-hmm. my wife and children because I was around them more than I was coming home. I mean, it was it was not, that was very difficult to contend with. That's why now, sometimes I'm retired, they go, AJ, you doing anything? No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm spending time with my grandkids and my That's children funny. and my wife. And, and, and But I enjoy, let me tell you this, I, will, I wouldn't, say I'd never go back to television. I enjoyed every minute of it. But that was one of the drawbacks. So anybody thinking about that, think about it again, because that is a uh, a prerequisite that you have to spend a lot of time at the TV station. And you have to spend a lot of time on the internet uh, doing, uh, you could put your stories on the internet, on WLOX.com or whatever. And it, it was very time consuming. Matter of fact, my last year when I when I did the uh, Friday Night Football Showdown, what I'd do is I would do a recap. I, w- I would stay and do a recap and put about three minutes, only about three and a half, four minutes of highlights from that particular show, and I would re-edit it and voice it. I wouldn't get home till like 1.30 at night because I would put it for the morning show, and, and I would say, you know, uh, you know, that's a look at the Friday Night Football Showdown for Good Morning Mississippi. I'm A.J. Jardina. WLOX News now, and but that was time consuming. But I didn't mind doing it because I, I enjoyed helping people, enjoyed letting these people see their sons and daughters, whoever, on TV. Yeah, and you were so anyway. good at it too, man. Just a class act to see, uh, and just a, a lot of a lot of enjoyment. You brought a lot of families along the Mississippi Gulf Coast. So AJ, we can't thank you enough for that, and thank you for this time that you spent uh, with us on the podcast. We appreciate it. Oh, well, I appreciate it. Now, you're going to send me a check for this or what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, look, the check is in the mail, AJ. <laughs> All right, hey, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you and all of the folks who are watching. Thank you, AJ. I appreciate it. Merry Christmas to you, too, sir. Okay, Clay. Take care now. Thank you.